Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast that doesn't condone saying a little prayer to ask Maman Brigitte to punish all the racists. But we definitely won't tell anyone it was you. I'm Emily. I'm Sarah, and you know, actually, we fully condone and encourage doing this. definitely say a little prayer to punish all the racists <laughs> i mean they brought it upon themselves by the being racist, racist yes like i was telling you i'm sure there's a like a voodoo um entity that's more suited for punishing racists specifically but not they're not the coolest <laughs> i remember mama bridget being kind of a badass so yeah yeah she's dope as shit um all right so we're i've been threatening to do this episode for a very long time and I'm finally it's been on it. the list for a while. Yeah, it's one of those that I was always kind of afraid of. Um, not because she's like super scary. Well, I mean she is, but like existentially, she's super scary. Um, mostly because I didn't want to have to think about that season of uh, American Horror Story. <laughs> I'm taking a hard stance, Sarah. Season three of American Horror Story is the worst season of American Horror Story. What year did that season come out? Oh fuck. Um, twenty thirteen. Okay, I've heard you rant about this since 2013, and you don't need to remind me anymore. (laughs) I'm sorry. If it was just a season that was entirely about uh, Madame LaLaurie and uh, Marie Laveau, would have been fucking amazing. But they had to make it about teenage girls, which is the worst thing to make anything about. (laughs) All right, now that I've gotten that off my chest, just know that I will not be What's the episode about, Emily? (laughs) We're going to talk about Delphine de LaLaurie. Duh. Duh. We're going to talk about... Delphine LaLaurie. That bitch. This, oh, yeah. I was, I almost started saying that, and then I was like, no, I should be not nicer, just less lewd, I guess. I was like, that lady. No, she's that bitch. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think she's deserved being called that bitch. I'm not going to say it was eye-opening research. It's kind of like with H.H. Holmes, where you hear a bunch of stuff, and then you actually read about it, and it's, like, terrible, but it's not, like, as bad right, as yeah. you thought it was going to be. Uh, still pretty bad. Anyway, I just woke up from a nap, guys. This is hmm. <laughs> a very special episode of Afternoonified. <laughs> this is our very special episode. It is special. It's Halloween. Yeah. Oh, shit. And speaking of special, um, before I forget, I wanted to say thank you to the two very lovely people who left reviews and proved my point that complaining does work. And almost made me cry. <laughs> um, you had their names? Yeah, it was uh, Gracie and May. They both left us really beautiful reviews and, like I said, made me get all weepy. So thank you, guys. Yeah, that was really sweet. sweet. Anyway, let's talk about murder and racism. <laughs> We're going to talk about Delphine LaLaurie. I have a couple sources and I have some notes about those sources. Uh, so the first is uh, Portrait of Cruelty, Madame Marie Delphine LaLaurie, an article from Vice. Uh, the LaLaurie Mansion from Atlas Obscura. Um the New Orleans Bee. I had to find a very old news article. Oh, I was going to ask, like, the contemporary sources in the newspaper about it? Or, like, the actual article from 1834. And then a book called Mad Madame LaLaurie by Victoria Costner Love and Lorelai Shannon. So a warning about this book is that the first, like, the history and, like, her backstory and everything, that seemed to check out pretty well. I had a lot of issues with dates. 
but as it gets further in, they almost kind of seem to absolve her of what she did as just like, it was a product of the times. Uh... Yeah, no, fuck that. Absolutely fuck that. So just know going into it that they're going to try to pull that shit and it's not true. Yeah, no. Maybe you get into that more, but like, you know, we'll we'll leave it for the episode. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll even talk about laws in New Orleans that like it wasn't just something people did and it there's no excuse for it. So just laying that out there if anyone chooses to read this book. Um, but yeah, that's another caveat that there are so many different dates for so many different things. I tried to give both dates that I found when I knew that there were two dates, but... Yeah, people were very bad about writing things down, even well into the 1800s, I would say. Yeah, it's it can be a mess at times. Um, okay, so another warning before we get into it, there's going to be extensive, extensive discussion of enslaved people in the United States, as well as the obvious racism that came with that and some description of harm done to said enslaved people. Um, so when I come to the names of these people, like, I will try to use these people's names when I have them, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the 1800s in the South and, you know, it's hard to find their names sometimes. Right. Generally not something people thought was important to record. Yeah. So just know that if you find that subject matter, um, super upsetting, this may not be the episode for you. I, I'm not going to get incredibly graphic, uh, cause I'm not about that life, but yeah, just know that there's going to be some um, discussion of enslaved people. Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't know this story already, and I feel like probably a lot of our listeners do have a general sense, at least, like, it's not a nice story. And no, it's not. There's you know, no, yeah. no, there's nothing nice about any of this. I mean, it takes place in New Orleans, which is cool. Yeah. The aesthetic of New Orleans in the 1800s, sure. Um, yeah, at no point during my research was I like, oh, that's nice. All right. So, born Marie Delphine McCarty in New Orleans, Louisiana on March 19th, 1787 or 1775. Who knows? It's a wide range. She was one of five children born to uh, Louis or Louis, Bartholomew de de McCarty, the son of Irish immigrants who had come to New Orleans in 1730, and Marie-Jean Larabel also known as the Widow Lecomte, as her marriage to uh, Louis McCarty was her second. Gotcha. So mother French? Mother French, father Father Irish. Irish. Uh, Both of her parents were important within the Creole community, which is a term that I'm going to explain right now, because it's not just a delicious seasoning for shrimps. (laughs) The term Creole was initially used by the French, who quote-unquote settled the area, Mm-hmm. Uh, to distinguish people born in Louisiana from people born literally anywhere else. And the French used it, like, for different places. Creole is just a word that meant you were born in that place. Right. Um, so it was a term used, like I said, in other colonies, but given how hard the French influence in Louisiana held, it's not surprising that it stuck there forever. Right. Uh, Creole also came to refer to refer to enslaved people and Native Americans born in Louisiana. So it's worth noting it's not a racial label. It's more of a cultural mm-hmm. one. Okay. Uh, it's also not to be confused with Cajuns, which are an ethnic group that I'm not going to get into in an episode about a murderer. So excellent use of seasoning, guys. We'll talk about Cajuns later. <laughs> Probably in the Marie Laveau episode. <laughs> Anyways, 
Uh, Delphine's uncle by marriage, Esteban Rodriguez Miro, was the governor of the Spanish-American provinces of Louisiana and Florida during 1785 to 1791, and her cousin, Augustin, there's so many French and Spanish names in this, there's a name later that's so buck wild, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. You can't offer, you didn't read the book. She's just yelling at me. (laughs) I did hear a little bit. She didn't do the reading. She didn't even open Wikipedia. She's less qualified to talk about this than I am. Uh, Her cousin, Augustine de McCarty, was mayor of New Orleans from 1815 to 1820. Her aunt also owned a plantation that was Andrew Jackson's base of operations during the War of 1812. So, her family was very rich and important. And now we're going to talk about something else. Uh, When Delphine was four or 16. (laughs) One of the two. In 1791, the Haitian Revolution began. Now, she didn't live in Haiti, but this revolution scared the ever-loving shit out of slave owners at the time and would have some very lasting effects in the United States. Yeah. Um, Without spending a ton of time on the details of of the revolution, here's a summary. Uh, So after years of terrible circumstances for enslaved people and free black and mixed race people in Haiti, on the night of August 2nd, 1791, a group of enslaved people attended a voodoo ceremony in San Domingue as a tropical storm rolled in, which is the spookiest way to start a revolution. Yeah, god damn. Uh, They took the thunder and lightning. How has there not been a movie made about this? I'm sure there has. I hope. If not, someone call me. I'm definitely qualified to make this movie. (laughs) Anyway, they took the thunder and lightning as a sign and went home and began killing their masters, thus plunging the colony into civil war. All right. The enslaved people sought revenge on their masters through, quote, pillage, rape, torture, mutilation, and death. The long years of oppression by the planters had left many with a hatred of all whites, and the revolt was marked by extreme violence from the very start. It was bonkers. The masters and mistresses were dragged from their beds to be killed, and the heads of French children were placed on spikes that were carried at the front of the rebel columns. The planters tried to fight back, but the numbers they were up against were at least in the hundred thousands. This went on for several years and was brutal, but the end result was that Haiti uh, became independent, free from slavery, and governed entirely by non-whites. And it was the largest uprising by enslaved people since that whole thing with Spartacus, (laughs) which was a long time ago. This is all to say that white slaveholders were scared shitless because they were starting to realize what a load of horse shit their whole, but slaves can't maintain their own freedom thing was. Yeah, once you take that away. Yes. And then unrelated to the uprising, Delphine's uncle had been murdered in 1771 by his own slaves and the revolution had inspired the local Mina conspiracy in 1791, the Pointe-Coupe conspiracy in 1794, and the German Coast Uprising in 1811, all of which caused many slaveholders to discipline slaves even more harshly out of fear of insurrection. Right, because, you know, yeah, of course. that's the way you stop it, is you just be more of an asshole. Yeah, you be more mean, and that way they won't be angry at you. It was a bad time. Like, a very bad time. Yeah. Oof. So we're going to go back to... That was the historical context. That's good context to have. I didn't, I've never put two and two together with that. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't mean fuck all for this part of the story, but, you know. On June 11th, 1800, when she was either in her 20s or 13, so, you know, uh, Delphine married, God help me, 
Don Ramon de Lopez Angulo Caballero de la Royal de Carlos. Good job. That was maybe the whitest I've ever sounded that's, saying a name. <laughs> that's a lot of names. <laughs> he was a high-ranking Spanish royal officer at the St. Louis Cathedral in New York. Nope, that's not where he was an officer. That's where they got married. I got so distracted by his eight-paragraph name. <laughs> anyway, so she married Don Ramon, who was a high-ranking Spanish officer at the St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans. The the big famous one. Yes. Uh, so if you're doing math... Delphine was possibly 13 years old when this arrangement happened. It should also... I mean, that's not... It's not I great. mean, it's awful, uh, but not unprecedented. She's either 13 or like 25. One of the two. One of the two. Given the time, I would almost venture 13. Yeah, I would skew 13. younger, mm. but... Well, I don't know. Maybe not that late, but who knows? 25 seems old. Yeah. 13 <laughs> seems way too young for late 1700s, but 25 seems way too old. If I remember the episode of Lore correctly, I think he was using the earlier date that would put her at 13, but the book I was reading put her at about 25. You see how this happened? Like, it was... Mm. Who even knows? One of the two. Let's let's just, like, cut it down the middle and say she was... What's she was the midpoint? 18. Yeah. 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 Okay. Appropriate age. Um. So, she may have been 13, but it should also be noted that uh, Don Ramon did not ask the King of Spain permission to marry this potentially literal child, uh, which was against protocol and did not go over well. And it wasn't against protocol because she was so young. It was against protocol because all officers were supposed to ask the king of Spain for permission before they got married. Doesn't the king have, like, better shit to do? Clearly not. I mean, I assume you have a lot of officers in your army and you're, like, approving the marriage. Like, you don't know these people. I think you just have to write, like, a short proposal and then send it off and he like just gives you like a stamp of approval yes but i don't think there's still. like interviews <laughs> so since this was against protocol there was some title stripping some reassignments some moving around uh that i'm not entirely sure where they went to um again different sources this all kind of cleared up when the spanish ceded louisiana back to france and then france sold the whole thing to the u.s in louisiana purchase oh god yeah that was all right around that time yeah like i said shit was nuts in the u.s <laughs> we were selling shit that didn't belong to us keeping people that <laughs> definitely didn't belong to us so in 1804 after the american acquisition of what was then again french territory because if you remember from like our vacation Minnesota a while ago, New Orleans yeah. and Louisiana as a whole changed hands a lot. It was Spanish for a very long time, wasn't it? It was Spanish for a long time. It had previously been French. And then, like, when the Spanish were managing it, like, the entire city burned down entirely over the course of two fires. So they rebuilt it. So it's technically Spanish architecture, but a lot of it is French-influenced. Yeah. When it was French territory in 1804... Don Ramon had been appointed to the position of Consul General for Spain in the territory of Orleans. He was called to appear at the court of Spain, and while on his way to Madrid with Delphine, who was then pregnant, Don Ramon died suddenly during a stop in Havana, Cuba. Oops. A few days after his death, Delphine gave birth to a daughter, Marie Borgia Delphine Lopez Angulo de la Candelaria. Oh, so she got all the names. Nicknamed Borquita. <laughs> uh, Delphine and her child returned to New Orleans. So that was her first husband. At least she only had to go, like, to Cuba. 
Can yeah. you imagine I, all well, the way to Spain? From what I understood, they did a lot of traveling around. Like, I think he got reassigned back to Spain because he fucked up by marrying someone that wasn't approved. Oh, uh, right. So, so they probably went back and forth. Yeah. So she spent a lot of time on, on boats in those four years. That's a bummer. I, yeah. Plus, he was not, like, significantly older than her, but, like, old enough for it to a heart attack to be, like, fine. Yeah. I think that's what he died of. Not a lot is known about her first husband, despite him being, like, an important dude. Hmm. Clearly not that important. <laughs> uh, in June 1808, Delphine married Jean Blanc, a prominent banker, merchant, lawyer, maybe criminal, and legislator. I mean, he was a banker and a legislator. Yeah, he could probably get in some trouble there. <laughs> Um, at the time of the marriage, Blanc had purchased a house at 409 Royal Street in New Orleans for the family, which later became known as the Villa Blanc. Delphine had four children by Blanc named Marie-Louise Pauline, Louise-Marie Laure, Marie-Louise Jean, and Jean-Pierre Pauline Blanc. She's just kind of reusing all those names in different combinations. Yeah, I, French naming conventions at that time were kind of like the Taco Bell to Mexican food, like, it's all the same ingredients. They just put them in a different order. It reminds me very much of, like, all the... You have those really Catholic families that name every single daughter Mary. And then no, they all I actually their went to name. school with a family yeah. that had, like, seven or eight daughters, and their first name was all Mary. Yep. And it's like, you call them by their middle name anyways. Why not just be like... Make Mary their middle name. Exactly. I think all of the sons were named John or Peter. Ugh. I know. I also went to school with a family of like 14 where all of their names started with A. There aren't that many names that start with A. There's you like would five. Think. <laughs> yeah, they kept adding members like after I stopped going to that school. So like I knew about 10 of them and then they added more. That's too many children. I would venture to say more than two is too many, but you know. <laughs> Once you get outnumbered, it starts to get a little dicey. Yeah, I was watching uh, Hill House the other night. And it was that episode where it was, like, the really long tracking, sh like, the fucking amazing episode. But when they were just trying to, like, keep an eye on all of the children and, like, the kids kept coming down the stairs. I'm like, hey, how do you keep track of that many kids? Like, two. Just two. You know where they are at all times. Yep. Everyone's got a buddy. <laughs> yeah, I guess in the Crane family, there was just one who didn't have a buddy. And she turned out weird. They all turned out weird. I mean. Their house was haunted. Shirley seemed fine. She's a little angry all the time, but, like, what was I talking about? We, oh, you had just listed off all her children, and <laughs> right. uh, you compared them to Taco Bell. I did. I did do that. All right, so during the time that uh, Delphine and Sean were married, it seemed like they were just out there doing, like, rich people shit in New Orleans and not really stirring As you up do. too much. Yeah. I mean, Jean Blanc was accused of pirating and smuggling with documents indicating that he went to court for illegally obtaining, like, 300 pounds of coffee, but who hasn't? Who hasn't just happened upon 300 pounds of coffee that fell out of the back of a boat? Uh, he was also tangentially connected by some letters to the infamous pirate Jean Lafitte. Mm. Yeah, who is his own episode, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, his name came up a lot when I was doing New Orleans research before my vacay. I remember hearing about him a lot when I was like doing tours and stuff. Um, yeah, I think he... I almost said emailed. Uh, he... <laughs> sent letters to Jean Blanc for help during the defending of New Orleans from the French? Spanish? One of the 
two. One of those two. The the one where they had the big battle and whatever. Anyway, yeah, he got some letters. The from Battle of New Orleans. Yeah, that was the British. Okay, so none of the ones that I said. Yeah, I feel like I knew that at some point. <laughs> Blanc died in eighteen sixteen or eighteen eighteen, or he disappeared. One of the two. There's actually he no solid off. record of his death. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but we do know that he left all of his money and various assets to his wife. So she was set to keep living fancy. Um, an interesting note is that in July of 1819, the parish courts have a record of Delphine pe- petitioning to emancipate a 50-year-old enslaved man named Jean-Louis for what sounded like good behavior. Uh, and I think there was like a tradition in New Orleans, which is historically less harsh towards enslaved people than the rural communities, where older slaves would be uh, emancipated if they were well-behaved. I mean, it's nice in theory. It's nice in theory. I, I don't read into it too much as her being an other okay than, person. Other than just, like, that was what was done. Yeah. I just thought that was worth mentioning. Congrats, Jean-Louis. You got out. All right, so on to her third marriage. On June 25th, 1825, or early in the year 1828. <clears throat> One of the two. Fuck it. Someone please verify these dates. I did not have the time to delve into New Orleans Parish uh, <laughs> records from the 1800s. I'm sorry. You didn't travel down to New Orleans and go to their records office and confirm this for yourself? Sarah, you have no idea how much I want to sit in New Orleans and look at microfiche from the 1800s. <laughs> That's like the dream. But we I'm can't because there's a plague. kill for a beignet and some coffee. Oh, God. This... Honestly, it does just make me want to go back yeah, to New Orleans. I miss it a lot. Um, so Delphine married her third husband somewhere between 1825 and 1828. Uh, he was a physician named Leonard Louis Nicolas Lalaurie, who was much younger than her, having been born somewhere between 1771 and 1800 in France. Good for her. After he graduated from medical <laughs> after he graduated from medical school, he hopped aboard a ship called Fanny. Not kidding. <laughs> And set sail for New Orleans in 1824, where he arrived in February of 1825. That's what you were giggling about? The ship was named Fanny? A ship called Fanny? Yes. <laughs> it's not even the Fanny. It was just Fanny. Fanny? Like, the name Fanny? I assume it wasn't a British ship called the Vagina Sarah. <laughs> uh, in 1828, at some point, Delphine and Louis's son, Jean-Louis, was born... And in 1832, they bought property at 1140 Royal Street, the place. This is the house. This is the house. I've been there. But it's not the current house, as we'll find out later. I mean, it's still technically there, but, like, it's not. Oh, interesting. Okay. It will make a lot of sense later in the in the story. Uh, the couple and their family continue to be very fancy, high-society people while Lewis worked from home, which you'd think is a weird thing for a doctor to do. But it wasn't in the I would say that's kind of just what doctors did. Yeah, this was also a time when it was considered normal to test medical procedures and medicines on enslaved people. So you can kind of guess what the medical field is was like back then. Yeah. Just Oof. throwing a lot of stuff against the wall and seeing what stuck. All right, guys, this is where it starts getting, like, rough. Uh, soon after her, their marriage began, stories of Delphine's abuse against her slaves started to emerge. Residents filed complaints leading to investigations for cruelty to slaves... Uh, New Orleans actually had laws that theoretically protected chattel servants more than other parts of the Deep South. Yeah, it wasn't like... It was actually illegal to be abusive to slaves past, um, well, past, you know, light beatings. 
Yeah, I mean, still, again, not great. In Yeah. Uh, but she had these complaints filed against her in 1828, 1829, and 1832. And some say she began beating her daughters when she tried to feed them. Although she seemed like a kindly, pretty society lady uh, in public. So was this... Did this only start after her marriage to the her last husband? The open reports did. Okay. So I'm assuming she was like this her entire life, but this is just when like right. something I don't know something switched. Maybe um, her she husband, got new neighbors. Yeah, she got new neighbors. Her husband might have been more of an asshole than her last one, which is hard to imagine. <laughs> I mean, I guess the last one just like pirated some fucking coffee. I mean, he could have been cool. Yeah, uh, her. Third husband sounds like uh, a huge asshole. Um, on November 16th, 1832, Delphine petitioned the first judicial district court for separation from, quote, bed and board of her husband, which was like an 1800s divorce. Hmm. In this petition, Delphine claimed that LaLaurie had, quote, treated her in such a manner as to render their living together unsupportable. Uh, claims which her son and two of her daughters confirmed. The same year, amid accusations of more slave abuse, Delphine and Louis emancipated another 50-something-year-old enslaved man named De Vince. Again, emancipating older enslaved people was kind of like standard. A common thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Some people point towards Delphine's marriage to Louis as the beginning of her abuse, but I personally am not convinced of this, as I mentioned earlier. I doubt it. Uh, She had plenty of influences, including the murder of her uncle and the generalized fear or retaliation from enslaved people following the uprisings uh, that might have given her a nudge towards further violence and cruelty. Uh, An uprising in New Orleans in 1811 that resulted in the beheading of over 100 enslaved people was also pretty fresh in every scared white asshole's mind. Yikes. All of this goes a long way towards explaining why Delphine wasn't actually seriously investigated or charged with cruelty until 1833. Right. Like, she, you know, was accused. She had to, like, fill some fucking paperwork out, but then they dropped it. But then in 1833, she done fucked up real bad. That year, Delphine apparently grew enraged with a 12-year-old enslaved girl named Leah, who tugged at a snag while brushing Delphine's hair. She chased the young girl around with a whip, and to avoid punishment, the girl jumped off the roof. (sighs) Witnesses saw LaLaurie uh, burying Leah's corpse, and they were forced to find her... $300 and make her sell nine enslaved people. But they looked the other way, as they did in most slave cruelty cases, when LaLaurie had her family members buy them back, transfer them to her, and compensated them for their expenses. Yep, I remember this too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's... Yeah, I mean, that kind of sums it up. (laughs) For all the anti-cruelty laws, a good degree of violence was still tolerated, yeah, it was like, you can have the laws on the books and still rich, white, entitled people will find ways around them. Exactly. So nobody would have recorded exactly what was going on in the LaLaurie household in the years before the incident, uh, because it was all just standard post-1811 punishment. Right. Okay. So I can feel it. I know you're all dying to get to the actual reason this woman is worth talking about. I am going to warn you. Besides just being terrible. Well, yeah. I'm going to warn you. Again, that it is not as sordid and gross as Ryan Murphy would have you believe. It's bad, but again, on a more existential human rights violating level. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll, we'll talk some ghost stories after that. And I'm going to give you the story that everyone tells before we kind of go in and pick at it. Great. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I know. This is for you. <laughs> on April 10th, which is my brother's birthday, 
but not be two thirty four. This was over a hundred years before his birthday, but still. On April tenth, eighteen thirty four, a fire broke out in the La Lori mansion. The people who came out to try and figure out what was going on noticed Delphine attempting to rescue her jewels and furs without any assistance from her staff. When asked where her servants were, she told everyone to mind their own business, which it's a hilarious mental image to picture this like middle-aged lady with her arms full of like jewels and furs and stuff telling people to mind their damn business (laughs) as her house burns behind her. I'm definitely picturing like Minnie Driver in Phantom of the Opera, just like (laughs) piled high with like furs and like she's got like eight necklaces on. Yeah, it's pretty much that, except Kathy Bates. (laughs) <laughs> Actually, and no shade to Kathy Bates. Uh, La Lurie was supposed to be, like, super hot. Again, no shade to Kathy Bates. Supposedly. I'm sorry, you don't think Kathy Bates is super hot? Uh, Kathy Bates is beautiful in her own way. Kathy Bates is gorgeous. She reminds me of my grandma. <laughs> sorry, just thinking about Kathy Bates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so some said that this was mysterious, and others said they heard faint moans and screams from the attic. Either way, a small brigade took it upon themselves to break into the house and find the enslaved people who may still have been inside. Yet when they opened the door to the attic, they stopped in their tracks, some vomiting from the stench. Delicious. You're just making it smell worse. Hold it in. <laughs> uh, what they had found was the La Lorie's alleged torture chamber. Legend has it that a 70-year-old cook who had been chained to the stove by La Lurie, uh, who was slowly starving to death, started the fire, but that was far from her most extreme torture. A brief catalog of the ever-changing list of horrors people claim the uh, rescuers found in her attic include, and again, if you don't like this kind of stuff, maybe just skip forward. Skip ahead like a minute. Yeah. Uh, Heads, or sorry, heaps of corpses, organs, and limbs, enslaved people pinned to tables or cramped in small cages, live bodies with their eyes gouged, fingernails torn out, ears hanging by shreds of skin, or their mouth filled with animal feces and sewn shut. People flayed of skin with festering wounds. Many accounts claim they found one woman whose skin had been peeled off in spirals to make her look like a caterpillar, another with her bones broken and reset so that she looked like a crab. And one more whose intestines had been torn out and knotted around the waist like some kind of fancy belt. <laughs> Not as fancy as Edgeen's nipple belt. It's up there. This one's fresher. <laughs> oh, God. He salted and cured those nipples before he made his belt. This is farm-to-table torture. Many of these victims, some claim up to 100, were supposedly still alive, putrid, and starving. Was that gross enough? Yeah, I think you did an okay job of freaking out everybody who listens to our podcast. You are welcome. Now we're going to talk about what actually happened in my little Adam Ruins Everything segment. <laughs> so the Lalaurie Mansion fire did happen in 1834. The story is actually very well documented in newspapers from the time. And I actually found said article so I can read it to you. What's it say, Emily? Uh, it's from the New Orleans Bee, April 11th, 1834. And this is uh, word for word, so just keep that in mind. These are not my words. These are someone from 1834. The conflagration at the house occupied by the woman La Lurie in hospital is like discovering one of those atrocities, the details of which seem to be too incredible for human belief. We would shrink from the task of detailing the painful circumstances connected herewith, were it not that a sense of duty and the... Necessity of exposing and holding to the public indignation such a wretch as the perpetrator renders it indispensable for us to do so. So the paper is just straight up being like, this bitch. This 
Yeah. The flames having spread with an alarming rapidity. That is how you pronounce that, right? Rapidity? Yeah. I can't think of another way to pronounce it, so I'm going to say yes. All right. Uh, Alarming rapidity and the horrible suspicion being entertained among the spectators that had some of the inmates of the premises where it was originated were incarcerated therein. The doors were forced open for the purpose of liberating them. Previous, however, to taking this liberty, if liberty it can be called, several gentlemen impelled by their feelings of humanity demanded the keys which were refused to them in a gross and insulting manner. I don't know what gross and insulting would be when refusing keys. They probably said a swear. Yeah, by she probably said a swear. Uh, upon entering one of the apartments, the most appalling spectacle met their eyes. Seven slaves or more, or seven slaves more or less horribly mutilated, were seen suspended by the neck, with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity Ugh. to the other. This is also bad. It's still bad. Like, it's not good. It's not, like, skin peeled in a spiral bad, but it's not good. Yeah, it's not crab lady bad. Uh, Language is powerless and adequate to give a proper conception of the horror which a scene like this must have inspired. We shall not attempt it, but leave it rather to the reader's imagination to picture what it was. And that's how you get conflicting stories in crab ladies, New Orleans B. Yep. The slaves were the property of the demon in the shape of a woman who we mentioned in the beginning of this article. Yeah, that's a pretty sick burn. See, I think like this on its own... um... I'm trying to think of the word here. Like, that goes to show that, like, it was not normal for this time if the newspaper is commenting it as such. Like, this wasn't just something everybody did. Yeah. This was so bad that the newspaper wrote about it. And, I mean, newspapers at that time tended to exaggerate a little bit, but oof. I mean, they didn't even, like, get into big details on this. They were like, oh, this is so fucked up, we can't even talk about it. Yeah. Um, So they had been confined by her for several months in the situation from which they had thus providentially been rescued and had been merely kept in existence to prolong their suffering and to make them taste all that the most refined cruelty could inflict. But why? She was a mean lady. Yeah. But why dwell upon such aggravating and painful particulars? We feel confident that the community share with us our indignation and that vengeance will fall heavily upon the guilty culprit. Without being superstitious, we cannot but regard the manner in which these atrocities have been brought to light as an especial interposition of heaven. Go off. <laughs> uh, since the above was in type, the populace have repaired to the house of this woman and have demolished and destroyed everything upon which they could lay their hands. At the time of indicting this... Uh, 1800s mob justice. <laughs> exactly. At the time of indicting this fury of the mob remains still unabated and threatened the total demolition of the entire edifice and that's why the house that is on 1140 royal street is not technically uh, okay so there was some rebuilding going on yeah yeah so folks did get pretty mad at lollery for not opening her attic to free the slaves and what they found was upsetting but the original accounts don't really talk about crab woman and belts made from intestines yeah no that's a an yeah, the elaboration victim- i would say oh yeah uh, the victims were found chained, scarred, and starving. One paper mentioned a man with a hole in his head filled with maggots. They had bloody welts, were living on gruel, and wore iron collars with inward-facing spikes. However, according to historians, these were fairly typical forms of restraint on the plantations outside of New Orleans, where rural landholders were, as mentioned, afraid of uprisings. Again, this is still worse than was normal, even out in the fucking boonies. Yeah. And I was going to say, and like, even though it isn't crab lady bad that's still horrific like exactly i don't want to understate that 
because it isn't as terrible as every as legend has made it out to be that it's somehow not bad. Yeah, there wasn't like a guy with a you know bull head sewn onto his shoulders, but Ugh. um, I do have a follow up article from the New Orleans Bee. So this is from April twelfth. Uh, the popular fury, which we briefly adverted to in our paper of yesterday, as consequent upon the discovery of the barbos and fiendish atrocities committed by the woman La Lurie upon the persons of her slaves, continued unabated the whole evening before last and part of yesterday morning. That was all one sentence. I barely understood it. But people kept, like, um, swarming her house for hours. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Especially when word starts getting around. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was found necessary. There's nothing else to do. Also, I mean, sure, go down to the bad lady's house and I don't know. I mean, it was kick a rock. in the 1800s. There was stuff to do. There were bars. No. This also would have been like around Mardi Gras. Hmm. Good excuse for a party. Actually, no, Mardi Gras is usually like around March. This was April. So this would have been close to like Easter. This would have been Lent time. Yeah. So yeah, no one had anything to do. No, nothing to do except church and eating fish on Fridays. And like not eating chocolate, I guess. <laughs> anyway. It was found necessary for the purpose of restoring order for the sheriff and his officers to repair to the place of riot and to interpose the authority of the state, which we are pleased to notice proved effectual without the occurrence of any of those acts of violence which are common upon similar occasions. Congratulations, they stopped a riot at a racist's house. <laughs> we regret, however, to state that previously some indignities had been shown to Judge caponage who ventured to expostulate with the assailants upon the propriety of ceasing their operations and that during the same deadly weapons were in the hands of many persons a resort to which one time was seriously apprehended i don't know if it's just the way this was written or just the time it's very long-winded yeah uh nothing of the kind happily however transpired so i guess the assailants fell apart at the same time deadly weapons okay so i'm i'm assuming that the judge was like, hey, Lillery, knock it off. And there were also people there who had weapons. Yes. Nearly the whole of the edifice is demolished and scarcely anything remains but the walls, which the popular vengeance have ornamented with various writings expressive of their indignation and the justness of their punishment. Yikes. Anti-racist, uh, well, no, probably not anti-racist, but anti-slave no. torture uh, graffiti. The loss of property sustained is estimated at some $40,000, which I don't know what that would be in now money. A, a lot. lot. We'll just um, say a lot. Yeah. But others think this calculation is exaggerated. It must, however, be very great indeed, as the furniture alone was one of the most costly kind, consisting of pianos, multiple pianos, armoires, buffets, etc., which were removed to the garret and thrown from thence into the street for the purpose of rendering them of no possible use whatsoever. What do you do with multiple multiple pianos? Parties? You're just like a person. I mean, when I have multiple pianos in like my Sims house, when they have parties, I'll hire <laughs> multiple people to play them. So they're like fancy people. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, the Sims, something that's very much like real life. <laughs> but yeah, people were just taking their expensive ass furniture and throwing it onto the street so it was unusable. Uh, this is the first act of its kind that our populace has ever engaged in, and although the provocation pleads much in favor of the excess committed, yet we dread the precedent. To say the least of it, it may be excused, but can't be justified. <laughs> but the looters, Sarah! I was going to say, I hear a lot of this today. Ugh. Summary punishments, the result of popular excitement in a government of laws, can never admit a justification. Let the circumstances be ever so aggravating. But the looters, Sarah! 
It's like I'm on Twitter all over again. The whole of yesterday, I didn't expect this to be timely, honestly. (laughs) Uh, The whole of yesterday and the preceding day, the police jail was crowded by persons pressing forward to witness the unfortunate wretches who had escaped cruelties that would compare with those of a Domitian on Nero or a Caligula. Oh, okay. Nero and Caligula were assholes, just in case anyone didn't know. Uh, 4,000 persons, at least, it is computed, have already visited these victims to convince themselves of their sufferings. People just rubbernecking? Yep, that's exactly what it is. A long-ass fucking article. All right. Now, people may have been enraged by the cruelty of what was done to other humans, or it might have been anger at the tarnishing of New Orleans' image of having a softer version of chattel slavery. Yeah, I was like, I get the impression it's not like these people thought slavery was bad. It was just like, oh, you're making us look bad by being extra terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. Is the, uh, the, I don't know, that's the impression I get. No, that's, I mean, personally, I believe that's what it is. Because um, the Civil War hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. That, there, there was a question mark at the end of that. I wasn't sure for a second. It had not, no. That's why they still had slaves. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> bitches be mad. <sighs> I can't remember what it was, what the exact card was. But um, we were playing this game called Chronology. Where it's like you basically sit around the table and you each have a bunch of cards and they have like the years and then like an event that happened or they don't have years. Sorry. It's an event that happened and you need to put them like you need to lay it in the right order. Oh, my God. I'd be so bad at that. I was really good at that. Um, My brother was not. (laughs) I don't remember what one it was. But it was like something about it was something something very obvious, like black people getting the right to vote. And he couldn't decide if it was before or after the Civil War. Oh, Jesus It was something Christ. along those lines. Like, the Civil War was on the board, and he couldn't do it. Great public school like, And I'm like, this is why there. you voted for Trump. <laughs> Zero understanding of history. <laughs> My brothers don't listen to this podcast. It's fine. I, I wouldn't think so. Um, okay. Either way, people seem hell-bent on punishing LaLaurie. Yet, in the commotion... She escaped with her slave driver Bastion to the docks where she fled to Paris, and no one really knows exactly what happened to her after that. Sounds about right. Uh, she ha- There were some letters to her children. She seemed to just be living in fucking Paris. Were her children mostly grown at this point? I believe I so. I get the impression? Okay. Uh, her son, I think, was younger, because uh, he was born in 28... Okay, yeah, so he's probably... Yeah, he was a younger boy. And I don't really know where her husband was during all of this. Well, if they kind of got a divorce, maybe was he even around? I want to say that he did live in the house at the time of this, but I don't know, like, where he was. Yeah, who knows? People don't write this stuff down, and then we have to just guess that. Exactly. This is the problem with any historical story whatsoever. If I hadn't found that book, like, I wouldn't have known anything about her husband's. So the circumstances of her death are also unclear. In 1888, George Washington Cable, which I think is a paper, recounted a popular but unsubstantiated story that LaLaurie had died in France in a boar hunting accident, which is a very French way to die. It's not unrealistic necessarily, but I feel like that's just something they made up. Oh, yeah. Just to, you know. Yeah. It's all Uh, papers. In the late 1930s, Eugene Bax, who served as sexton to the St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 until 1924, um, discovered an old cracked copper plate in Alley 4 of the cemetery. I'm trying to remember if this is the cemetery that I went to. St. Louis number one is the big, yeah, it's the one like right outside the French Quarter. Is that the one that where uh, Nicholas Cage's 
pyramid I think is? so. And I think that's where Marie Laveau is. Okay, yes. So that is the one that I went yeah. to. Um, they did not mention this on that tour. Mm. So uh, this guy in 1924 discovered an old cracked copper plate in Alley 4 of the cemetery. The inscription on the plate read uh, in French, but I'm going to say in English, uh, Madame LaLaurie, born Marie Delphine McCarthy, died in Paris December 7th, 1842, at the age of six, and then it's cut off. 60-something, then. 60-something. According to the French archives of Paris, however, LaLaurie died on December 7th, 1849, at the age of 62, which is, I assume, why we have so many conflicting birth dates. Right. Okay. So that's that's her life. That's what I have as factually as I can. That's pretty good. <laughs> however... Since this is our Halloween episode, or one of our Halloween episodes. Spooky. Exactly. I did promise some spookier stories. And we're also going to do some fun facts, courtesy of the Ghost City Tours website. Although, if you're going to do a tour in New Orleans, I recommend going through French Quarter Phantoms. Oh, yeah. Was that the one that I did and then I told you to do? Um, Where you go to the bar and you get two hurricanes and exactly. plastic cups? Yes. And you, okay, yeah. Yes, that's also the one that the McElroys did. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's similar tours in New Orleans that will also give you hurricanes as you walk around the streets. But Yeah, but uh, I really enjoyed French, French Quarter Phantoms. Um, I did their uh, St. Louis number one cemetery tour. And the tour guide we had, whose name I cannot remember, but he was amazing. Because um, there were other tours walking around the cemetery at the same time. And like I was overhearing them and they were all doing the like more salacious historical stuff. But like our uh-huh. tour guide like stopped... He explained a lot, like, we went to the tomb of, like, a civil rights leader, and he gave us a lot of historical context. Like, they were just very, very good. Yeah. Like, they mentioned the stuff that, you know, maybe isn't as, like, fun, but is still necessary history. So, Mm -hmm. but this is from Ghost City Tours, because the French Quarter Phantoms website didn't have anything beyond what I've already told you on the website. Um, Okay. So... As we know, the LaLaurie Mansion and Delphine LaLaurie played a big part in the American Horror Story franchise. But the current homeowner of the uh, location does not allow filming or tours or strangers to come inside the house. <sighs> like, what's the point? Why buy <laughs> Why buy such a fun, spooky house? That's not what I meant to say. It's not fun. It's not fun. But, but yeah. you know what I mean. Like, if you're going to buy a house with that kind of history behind it. All the interiors for those shows were filmed in another nearby house. Um, and it's worth noting that the fire and looting destroyed most of the original house anyways. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Cage did indeed own the house for a short time. Unfortunately, it went into foreclosure. <laughs> Didn't he, like, not pay taxes? and then? Yeah, it was yeah. a tax thing. He lost that. He lost Anne Rice's house, which he owned. Oh, yeah, that's also New Orleans. Um, And then he does still own his burial plot because the IRS cannot take that away from you. Well, he's got that going for him. It's also worth noting that he paid off two old families from New Orleans because the only way you can be buried in the St. Louis Cemetery is if your family owns and maintains the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, Like it's been willed to people, you know, for hundreds of years yeah like i'm sure they're not like selling new plots in st louis number one anymore there is no room in that place but yeah he did remove two burial plots that he had purchased off of other people and put up his own um thing that sounds like something that would get you cursed theoretically yeah like all of the tour guides around were making jokes about him not being able to act and it's like have you ever seen vampires kiss (laughs) it's not a good movie um I think he's a fine actor. Just just to get that. I feel like calling him a bad actor is lazy. It's hacky. 
I wouldn't hang out with him. <laughs> like, I definitely wouldn't hang out with him. But, like, National Treasure is a national treasure. Yes. For more information, please watch our, na- or please I listen to our National Treasure commentary. That's not information. <laughs> if you want to hear us talk more about Nicolas Cage for an hour and a half. This is true. So, the LaLaurie Mansion is considered one of the most haunted houses in New Orleans, at least in the French Quarter. Uh, many people le- believe the ghosts of the people LaLaurie tortured are causing most of the disturbances. I wonder why. Yeah. I mean, I'd be pretty pissed, too. I'd come back as a ghost. <laughs> throw some shit around. But despite all of the ghost stories and paranormal happenings at the LaLaurie house, not everything is her fault. In 1894, a tenant who lived in the LaLaurie mansion, because um, they converted it into apartments, uh, was brutally murdered in his room. They found his belongings ransacked as if someone had gone through them. The police assumed that he was a victim of a robbery, even though nothing of value was found missing. Crack police work, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a robbery. An interesting account regarding this murder uh, deals with the police interviewing neighbors about his disappearance. One of his friends claimed that he was having problems with, quote, sprites in his house. His friend wrote it off as his imagination running wild, but he did say something interesting. He claimed that his friend told him that there was a demon in the house that wasn't going to rest until he had met his end, which he did. Interesting. Spooky. Spooky, I guess. Um, all right. So our second story. Uh, the LaLaurie Mansion was, for a very brief time, a school for girls during the mid to late 19th century. Oh, that's just asking to be haunted. At first, it had been one of the few desegregated or mixed schools in the city of New Orleans. But, of course, politics during the Reconstruction era were convoluted. And, and surely enough, the school became uh, an all-girls black primary school. Uh, Within a short amount of time, reports of physical assaults came to light. Uh, The girls would approach their teachers um, with their sleeves rolled up. The exposed exposed flesh on their forearms scratched and bruised. When the teachers asked uh, who did this, the girls would always answer, that woman. Now that is a horror movie that needs to be made. Um, But obviously these girls were young enough to not have been made aware of Madame LaLaurie. Like, right. Like, they probably didn't know the history. Well, I guess it's feasible that, like, they would know enough lore around it, Maybe. It seems unlikely it that the teachers would tell, you know, six- to eight-year-old girls about the starvation and torture of enslaved people. Generally, yeah. But, like, kids find out all that stuff, and then they spread the stories around themselves. But, you know, they might have been playing pranks on each other. It could have been that a ghost did it. But the question I would like to raise is, Madame LaLaurie did not die in that house. That doesn't mean she doesn't haunt it, though. That's true. I guess, like, there are stories about dead celebrities haunting, like, their favorite bar. Mm-hmm. All right. And then our last story. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone on one of the Ghost City tours tours uh, was a medium, in quotation marks. <laughs> are those your quotation marks or Ghost City tours? Uh, My quotation marks. Do you okay. really think Ghost City tours is going to put quotation marks around their medium? <sighs> they got to put butts in seats or feet on streets. Feet on streets. I like that. Uh, throughout the entire tour, uh, this woman had sensed things about various locations before the tour guide even told the story. Uh, but then the first sight of the LaLaurie Mansion, the medium took a deep breath and said, such sadness. Pulling out her phone, she proceeded to snap a picture of the mansion. Um, she then said that the little girl did not fall out of the bricked up window. Which, if you've seen a picture of the LaLaurie Mansion, there is a window that's bricked up. Mm-hmm. But I think the story said that she fell off the roof, so... Yeah. Whatever. <sighs> the tour guide paused because he hadn't gotten to that part of the story at all. 
Uh, nevertheless, the woman, uh, sorry, I copied and pasted the story and it's not written well. I also can't read, which is something that I should have told you guys on episode one, but. Oh, no wonder a podcast gets such poor reviews. <laughs> it's because I can't read. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> anyway, so the tour guide, you know, was like, yeah, you're right. Uh, Leah fell into the courtyard. Um, the bricked up window is just, you know, it's just, just a fucking bricked up window. Yeah. The medium then said she sensed the spirit of a young boy who liked to pray, play pranks on the living and the spirit of a little girl who was often nervous. Uh, she then said that she did not feel any helplessness or anger. And then she said whatever happened with the Lollery house does not live in the house any longer. So weird. Okay. <laughs> So I mean, I wish you could see my face during this whole story, and I'm not just like... I know. I don't know why I saved the dumb one for last, because <laughs> the, <laughs> the long and short of the story is some lady was on the tour, said that the bricked-up window wasn't something that someone fell out of, and that she didn't sense anything bad, just two little kids. Yeah. The end. I like the idea that, like, she... Like, she identified the house as if, like, you and me didn't know going on that tour, the same tour... <laughs> beforehand like yeah um it's not that hard to do your research and like if you're going on spooky ghost tours you probably know the story already i actually didn't go on it because i took the cemetery tour instead of a ghost tour which next time i'll take a ghost tour um i just went and found the house by myself well not by myself i had travis my mom and her husband like (laughs) following me as i'm like sprinting through the streets of new orleans I would say, I actually did go find the house by myself before I then went on the ghost tour because I didn't know at that point that we were going on the ghost tour. And I was like, well, I really want to go see the La Lurie house, but I don't want to drag my sister-in-law all the way across the French Quarter to look at a house that we cannot go in and then have to tell her why I think it's such an interesting house. Oh, yeah. I had to explain to my mom. You know, she's known me for almost 30 years. She got it. Yeah. God, I raised such a creepy kid. (laughs) Yeah, she's kind of accepted that at this like, point. Where did I go wrong? Um, just be respectful when you visit. Like, yeah, I mean, it's someone's house. It's not a busy street. But no, it's really far removed from like a lot of the. It's more of a residential, more area. French quarter stuff. Yeah, like except at night when you like did go out on the ghost tour and like you're one of like seven ghost tours that are just kind of hitting the exactly. same spots. Um, but I'll make sure to put the pictures that I took of the house in the in the slideshow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not so much gross horror as it is existential horror. Just, like, the things some people are capable of. Yeah. I mean, sure, people got mad about it later, but it, I believe it, again, was just... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so happy Halloween, guys. We're doing a different kind of spooky this year. <laughs> I mean, aren't we all just existentially terrified all the time? Uh, continually. Um, If you have... A story about the Lollery House that doesn't involve Ryan Murphy. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Afternoonified, Twitter at Afternoonified, um, get Afternoonified.com, where you can uh, find links to our merch store, which I don't know, like, it's cute. We have good there's merch. Some, there's some cute merch. We are still donating uh, proceeds to Black Lives Matter. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a very good reason to buy merch. Yeah, guys. so if you're looking for an excuse, that's a pretty good one. Plus, the Midge Midge 2020 shirt is going to be gone in about uh, two weeks after this. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> I think we're going to take it down on election day. Yeah. And then <laughs> that replace dream it with Midge Midge 2024. Yep. Let's see. Uh, afternoon. No. What is our email? Afternoonfightpod at gmail.com. 
Yes, correct. Uh, and also remember to rate, subscribe, review, all of that things. We love reading nice things. Like, yeah, it's, like, one, of my, it's one of my favorite things. <laughs> I like reading nice things. And we'll probably give you a shout out on the show because we're just so we're so excited. so tickled every time. And I would just like to reaffirm that I do not believe in missing four one one. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. We love you. Bigfoot isn't real. love the bachelor franchise ah the romance the adventure the drama but do you also kind of hate the bachelor franchise oh yeah the sexism the racism the intense heteronormativity of it all here at date card we're just two obsessed queerdos who love to dissect talk shit and get blocked by problematic contestants yeah we're here for the good the bad and the chad of it all you can find us on soblo media itunes and spotify please Please accept accept this rose For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.